Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 181 and this episode is with the head of Academy Performance at QPR, Ross Bennett, and also Academy Sports Scientist at QPR, Kieran Dealey. And the lads came on to discuss a number of different topics, including a breakdown of some of the research that Kieran's doing at the Academy. We went into some of the some of their thoughts on the importance of technical and tactical understanding for sports scientists and SNC coaches. We then went into quite a bit of detail around monitoring fatigue, which touches on some of Kieran's research and the way that's informing their practice at the club. And then Ross went into some detail on his thoughts around high-speed running zones um, and some thoughts around how we need to, where we need to focus um, rather than where we have previously. So some interesting topics in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. As always, please give it a share. Share it on your socials. Send it out to um, different practitioners or friends, colleagues that you think will benefit from the episode. And just before we get into the episode, I just want to give a quick shout out to our next networking event on Wednesday, the 27th of April from 5.30 to 8.30pm. We're going to be in Manchester at University Academy 92. Um, The event is going to be based around knee injuries in professional football and elite sport. And we've got two incredible speakers, Dr. Lee Harrington and Dr. David Ridings are both going to be talking for us at that event and that event is in association with Steroplast as well so it'll be great to see as many listeners at that event as possible Wednesday the 27th of April 5.30 to 8.30pm early bird tickets are available currently so go and check out footballfitfed.com click the shop tab and you'll be able to get yourself a ticket there and just before we get into the episode, a big thank you to our sponsors. So first of all, Black Box Fitness. Black Box are the world's best training equipment, accessory and apparel brand. Black Box believes that training isn't just a checkbox on your to-do list. Training is a lifestyle. Continually seeking your highest performance in the gym, on the pitch, at home and in everyday life. To perform at your best, you need the best and Black Box has you covered. So go and check them out on social media at BLK Box Fitness. And actually, I've been looking at their socials recently. There's some serious, impressive fit outs they've been doing. So go and give it um, go and give it a look on, on socials, especially Instagram, and check out some of the incredible work the guys at Black Box are doing. And then also a big shout out to Rezzle. Rezzle is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport. By using VR technology, Rezzle and Player22 can create game-style scenarios and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. So go and check those guys out at Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. And it was great to see the team at Soccer Science as well this previous week um, and some of the updates that they're doing, continually doing, staying at the top of the game, um, which is brilliant to see. So go and give them a follow as well. Let's get into the episode now. So episode 181 with Ross Bennett and Kieran Dealey. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 181. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by QPR sports scientists, Ross Bennett and Kieran Dealey. How are we, lads? Yeah, all good, Ben. Thanks thanks for the invite. Um, and yeah, I was on here, I think, four years ago. So it's good good to come back and, and renew stuff. So thanks for having us on. Hi, Ben. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us on. My first time, so looking forward to it. 
Awesome. Lads, I really appreciate the time and, and coming on. And Ross, I can't believe, has it actually been four years? That's mental. But, yeah, it's before it was before I had my boy. He was coming up to four in July. I remember it in the old house. I was upstairs walking around with it with the AirPods on. Same AirPods. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I remember that. Don't say that because Apple will be acting on that, trying to get you to buy new ones. Of course, yeah, <laughs> 100%. Class. Well, thank you very much, lads. I really appreciate it. Well, let's, let's just jump into it. Ross, we did this in your previous episode, but I want to go through some background and also some recent updates in terms of how your roles might have changed recently as well. So let's start with you, mate. Um, just give us a little bit of background on yourself and then also a little bit more specifics on your current role at the club. Yeah, sure, Ben. Like, I won't go too extensive because I know we've been on before, but I'll give you a whistle-stop tour, hopefully. Um, started originally from, from a playing perspective. So, as a youth as a youth player, I played at Millwall um, and then Brentford, which was a, a local academy to me, to me in, in south-west London. I went up to them until the end of under-18, so I did, or end of under-17s. So I did an extended schoolboy, which back then was called a non-contract agreement where you did your education elsewhere because I was quite... I quite liked my, my education where I was and I wanted to carry on with A-levels and it wasn't really a known thing back in the day. Um, but yeah, I got to the end of under 17 and, and unfortunately didn't get offered a, a next contract. So I kind of steered down the educational route, um, finished off my A-levels, went to St. Mary's to do a, a undergrad in s &C. It was the second year that they'd done that at St. Mary's there. So it was very in its infancy. It was a brilliant course. Um, and we'll come on to a couple of key people I met at, at St. Mary's later on, I'm sure. Um, but then I did a, a postgrad at Brunel um, in sports science I wanted to kind of diversify my knowledge and, and get a little bit more understanding around the applied sports science in biomechanics physiology um, so I did a, a, a master's down the road at the rival university which didn't go down too well um, but at the meantime I, I was very fortunate in my second year at St Mary's to get a, an internship at Chelsea Football Club uh, where I went and worked in with the foundation phase to start with and just doing some basic movement skills and fun games and FMS type work and just working with the real kids as they started to really drive their sports science provision um, and athletic development provision at that time period in 2013. Um, managed to then get a, a part-time job there. So very, very delighted to go and work at the, and see the top end um, of, of football academies at the time. And my first job, I remember it, I was working with the under-14s, my first paid job, um, and I was assisting a guy called Michael Bill uh, with the under-14s at uh, Chelsea. And we had people like Mason Mount, Declan Rice, Tammy Abraham, all 13 years of age, uh, Fikeo Tomori. Well, I could reel Reese James, reel off about 10 or 12 players that are now playing in the Premier League, who in my first paid role was excellent for me because not only was I learning my craft, in sports science and athletic development I was learning off arguably one of the best coaches in the country now Michael Bill and I was being pushed by the, some of the best players we've got today in an England shirt so they was just driving me to be better and better um, I stayed at Chelsea for five just over five years coming up to six years um, and I worked across nice to 16s really in, in more of a part-time capacity and then I went to Qatar uh, to work with with the national team over there, the 2000s. Um, so it would have been under 14s at the time as they are kind of building towards this World Cup that's coming up very soon. Um, so I was there for a very short period of time, more family reasons, and my wife struggled to, to relocate and settle. So we came home a bit um, uh, sooner than planned. Um, but I managed to land a job at QPR, where, where I've now been for eight years. Um, came in at QPR as the YDP sports scientist, quite quickly moved to the under 23s um, and then became head of sports science and now head of academy performance where I oversee all of the sports science, SSC provision, psychology, nutrition, performance analysis, which has come under my remit in the last two years. And very recently, just 
I had a little additional role as, as an academy coach where I'm now kept coaching the under 16s from a technical perspective as well. So very, very busy, um, thoroughly enjoying my time here. We've got lots of projects going on. Obviously, it's where I met Kieran, who's on the podcast today and, and had a spell with him at London GA while, while he was the manager there. So, yeah, lots I've done in the last, I think, in the last 13, 14 years in terms of career. But, yeah, very, very happy where I am and keep progressing here and, and adding on little roles. Perfect, mate. We're going to get into some of that in a, in a second as well. But Kieran, do you want to give us a little bit of rundown on yourself, mate, as well? Yeah, so mine was probably a little bit, uh, I went around the houses a little bit more than Ross in terms of the, the different sports. Uh, um, so I grew up in the countryside in Ireland, and then my two main sports were Gaelic football, which is the national sport in Ireland, or the most popular sport, definitely, and then football as well. And got to the age of 18 and had to decide one or the other, and decided on Gaelic football because there was kind of more opportunity there to play in big games and stadiums and stuff if you didn't make it across the water into the, the Premier League or Championship. Um, so I had a very enjoyable Gaelic football career in Ireland. It's unpaid amateur ethos sport, um, but managed to play for my county and captain it and play on the, the, the national level, let's say, in, in the big stadiums and stuff like that. So very, very, very enjoyable time with Wexford GA, they were called. During that time, then I did a, a degree in in exercise and sports science in University of Limerick, um, moved to Dublin after that and, and worked really as a full-time coach in Gaelic football, which really was, was a really good experience for me because you were coaching little kids from the age of, you know, four and five, all the way up to 18-year-olds about the skills of Gaelic football. And you were out in the schools, in the clubs, and gave me a great kind of grounding in pedagogy and how, how kids and how people can learn skills and, and and improve at sport so um, I'd always recommend people to get out and coach as, at a young age as possible and with kids rather than just kind of at the adult level um, after that then I suppose my career in sports science was always limited by being uh, located in Ireland and playing my Gaelic football career so uh, afterwards, I at the age of just before 30, I came over to London, started uh, or did a master's in, in strength and conditioning in Middlesex University under Anthony Turner um, and then started an internship with QPR, got in as a, a got a full time position, sports scientist. And I suppose over the last kind of nine years, I suppose I've been in and out of QPR Academy and took a little bit of a sabbatical to go to India to work with Carla Blasters for a season in the Indian Super League, which was a bizarre and amazing and crazy experience. All the, the madness that you'd expect um, from living there and everything, it, it definitely was the case. But yeah, pick, picked up a lot of kind of different life skills and dealing with first team coaches and stuff like that, you know, was, was interesting, challenging, but interesting. Um, and then after I came back and managed as Ross briefly said, uh, in a kind of a part-time role with expenses, uh, I managed the London Gaelic football team, senior fo football team, which we, we participate or did participate in the Irish League. So we would fly over and back to Ireland and teams would come over to London to, to play in the national leagues. Um, and that was, that was, again, massive experience, you know, being the manager, being the, the head coach, uh, having, you know, I suppose there were probably about 14 you know, staff, volunteer staff and part-time staff under you and, and just kind of navigating the waters and, and driving the ship, you know, in a certain direction. It was, you pick up a lot of skills from that. Um, did that for four seasons, four or five seasons. 
and just recently then have a couple of different roles really i'm working as sports scientist in qpr academy um doing a, a, a a PhD now. I'm two years into my PhD as a collaboration with Northumbria University and Queen's Park Rangers Academy, which has been going great, even though very, very challenging. And the third thing then is I run my uh, business, dailysportscience.com as an aside. So that's kind of advising coaches, uh, mostly Irish, mostly Gaelic football, but with football and rugby and hurling and different sports as well. Just a, a completely online uh, kind of service that we run so we produce a lot of content and um, get a lot of good discussions and and do a little podcast myself and ross the, the locker room podcast on the side so um yeah it's been it's been a, a whirlwind but good good fun how have you found the podcasting world <laughs> very interesting um yeah as i say good good fun and challenging at times um you know doing a little bit of homework on your different guests coming up with different topics it's been good because we probably we cover cover a number of different sports as i said the gaelic sports and and football uh, but also we we'll, you know obviously dip into the sports science and the snc and everything as well um there's a number of us so uh, you know i know for yourself or our pacey performance and other guy our sports mates and stuff doing a podcast every week or you know every two weeks or whatever is i'm sure it's a massive challenge so we try and uh kind of divvy up a little bit a few different presenters and and different topics and we do it once a fortnight so yeah it's been it's been interesting the multimedia kind of world has been another little string to our bow and learning about it awesome can, can you give us a little bit of a um, an overview on the research that you're doing because i think it'd be great to sort of take us into a few different topics yeah, so as I said, it's a it's a collaborative doctoral training scheme. So um, I think originally Ross came to me with the idea to doing it with, with uh, Dr. Jamie Talent, who was at St. Mary's University at the time. That kind of fell through. So then all of a sudden, Ross, I'm not sure how exactly we ended up doing it, but uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Glyn Howitson from Northumbria University in Newcastle came on board. Um, so as I say, it's it's slightly different. I mean, it's becoming popular now, these PhD programs whereby you have practitioners embedded into a club or into an organization. So, um, you know, you see different clubs like Man United have done it. Liverpool have definitely done it over the last number of years. Arsenal have not many clubs at category two at our level. So we kind of like to think, you know, a little bit of trailblazers in that sense. Um, some of the EIS sports as well do it. So I'm embedded in QPR. I work here three days a week. Uh, another two, at least two days a week, then I'm completing my PhD. Um, like the rules are not hard and fast. So in terms of in those three days in QPR, I will be obviously touching on aspects of my PhD. In the two days I'm working from at home, I'll be doing bits of QPR work when it needs to be. So it's quite flexible and, and fluid in, in that case. Um, it's a full-time program, so you're supposed to complete it within three years. Um, definitely within four years is, is the, the idea. So rather than like a part-time basis, you're completed anything between like five to seven years. And I, I think Dr. Robin Thorpe and, and some of the other guys who've done it with Man United and Liverpool, I believe, do it on a part-time basis. And, and they're embedded into the club as well like there, there are huge there are good things good things and and challenges about being 
uh, in, you know, doing it alongside a club. So for instance, for somebody like me, because I knew the coaches, I knew Ross, I knew the sports science department, the players, there was no kind of, you know, integration with, into the setup that I was, I was in there anyway. So it meant that we could have conversations with the coaches and say, listen, you know, we need to push training back a little later this morning because we're completing testing before training. Um, could we make sure that they're, you know, fresh as possible coming into the session? We need to, this session, we need as high intensity as possible or recovery session. So it just meant that those relationships were were already there and were already built. So that, that, that was definitely helpful. On the flip side, obviously, I've got to know a lot of PhD researchers in different universities that the, the, the people who are full-time in the universities are probably exposed, exposed more to the academic side of the PhD program. So that's something that when you're in the club is missing a little bit, whereby, you know, you don't have like four or five PhD researchers chatting over lunch and talking about their study and the research and the stats and stuff like that. So, you know, there, there are, there are good and bad, but just overall the, with the program we're we were kind of, I suppose we've been, um, we implemented a really comprehensive monitoring um, program of the under, especially of the under 18 players here over the last, you know, eight years that both of us have been here. And it just meant that we were interested in looking at, okay, did these tests that we're carrying out, uh, the questionnaires, the perceptual measures of, of fatigue and readiness to train, the counter movement jumps, the drop jumps, Tests like this, the Brums uh, questionnaire, also are they are they valid measures? Are they reliable? Um, do they you know correlate to kind of more laboratory gold standard measures of fatigue? And so we we decided then in collaboration with the lecturers with with um, Professor Howitson and and uh, Dr Kevin Thomas and Dr Stuart Goodall and, and Dr Jamie. Talent then to look at to kind of focus mostly on your muscular um, function, your muscular fatigue or new muscular function, um, and also then the perceived measures of fatigue alongside that and the physical measures such as the counter movement jump and and, and RSI as I mentioned. Um, so we're do, we're doing a number of different studies. We've got one study that's fully completed and and just about ready to be submitted for review. I hope this week um, after a kind of a a long journey getting it to that level. So that one was quite an interesting study where we looked at, we wanted to see response uh, from our, our profile, basically neuromuscular function and the other measures of fatigue across a training week in the under 18 um, elite youth uh, players, let's say. So we, we tested them beforehand when they were in a fresh state on a Tuesday morning. We did a really high intensity session then on Tuesday, followed by a strength session. We tested them immediately afterwards to see the acute responses of a strenuous training day. And then we tested them then 24 hour, 48 hour, 72 hour post to kind of see that response over the training week. We also then trained a moderate session on the Thursday. So it meant that not only were we looking at the acute effects of that really high intensity day, we're also looking at the accumulative effects of two training days and, and two uh, strength sessions. And just seeing what, what is the response, what's the profile of these players, what's the profile of the, the, um, the neuromuscular function and perceptual responses, and also then to see, well, do any of these other kind of simple in the field tests such as the, the questionnaires and the brums and the jumps, 
do they are they good a valid kind of surrogate measure of neuromuscular fatigue um so yeah we've we've found some interesting findings and we're we're kind of pushing on into the the the, the rest of the studies some of them that we've already we we've just completed a reliability study we're in the middle of uh, completing a seasonal variation so how do these responses differ across a, a season so from early to mid to late season do the responses change over that period and again we're, we're trying to not only are we trying to kind of educate ourselves and give information for our own academy we think that the findings that we get from these and the conclusions that other clubs other academies can kind of apply them into um their setups as well yeah brilliant and, and ross have you got anything to add on that in terms of how that may inform practice going forward yeah of course you can tell why Wayne's kieran's come on and explain it ben um <laughs> into the detail and, and, and he's gone fairly superficial on us as well he's uh it's very good stuff i mean we're the first academy to ever like stim players so the test that we do you know kids you might explain a bit more on the technique a bit later but it's, it's very innovative and i think that monitoring fatigue and i know it's something that we'll come on to speak about is something that's not done very well i don't think in in general in football i think we're a bit scared to to do stuff with players when they come in the morning especially when they become in the first team and i think if if you had to pick between monitoring the response of training or actually monitoring the training load, I think the response is arguably more important than monitoring the training load. Yet, actually, we focus so much on GPS and internal measures of heart rate and stuff like that. But how do you know how your players are responding and, and how do you know that we could push them more or actually come off them a little bit? So I think it's going to inform, number one, the thing was that we want to validate the stuff that we do and do we need to make tweaks to our monitoring process? To, that's really pivotal. And then number two, is well is there something going on with our di different types of players that make them respond differently we've got hypothesis that you know the more aerobic type players and the stronger type players are responding better but are they responding better to certain type of stimuli and are there certain tests that are going to pick that up so it was really good to, to, to I think in the next three years to validate as Kieran said what we're doing but to be able to give that to the wider community and try and give simple tests that are easy to do with minimal equipment aren't expensive um, and to be able to do it very well and thoroughly and go into the, the coaches meeting in the morning to say this player is good to go this player is okay he's a little bit down but it's nothing to worry about but actually last three days this player he he, he could be at risk you know you, you can never say that he's going to get injured you, you can just say he could be at risk of something happening we feel like there's something going on so what are we going to do with that individual are we going to monitor him are we going to modify him these are the sort of questions you should be having on, on a daily basis in my opinion so it's, it's, it's re I'm really glad we managed to, to pull Kieran around to do it he was the best man for the job in terms of his experiences and his academic uh, understanding and knowledge um, and I think he's gonna he's gonna blow up the world uh, <laughs> not, not just not just here at QPR <laughs> the, the inter thanks Ross the, the, I suppose the novel aspect of it is that once you start delving into the research you find that not much research is actually done on academy football players. So let's call it elite or professional academy football players. There's, there's a little bit done on Premier League, but more about kind of training load and, you know, non-invasive measures like that. And obviously then there's always lots of studies done on, on you know, white male, 21-year-old university level, semi-pro amateur athletes. So I think the, the, the thing that 
the lecturers involved with us, the supervisory team, are most excited about actually is that we're getting to do with actually academy players and, and you know, professional academy players. Um, just some of the techniques that Ross has been just very, very briefly, like something that hasn't been done before. There's, there's been some testing done in Hibernia Football Club, um, also in Blackburn as well, and, and a couple of others. But in terms of what we can see, we're, we're the first club to do um, electrical stimulation of the femoral nerve. So we, we get the players into a, a movable chair, lock them into it. Uh, they do a MVC, a maximum voluntary contraction of the knee extensor. Um, we hook up then the, the electrical stimulation just to the, uh, on the femoral triangle. And basically what we do is we ask them to kick out as hard as possible. Isometrically, um, we find the peak force then that they've produced, but also then we stimulate, we, we superimpose uh, electrical stimulation and look at the twitch response on top of that uh, maximum voluntary contraction. So that can then identify whether the muscle is absolutely maxed out um, voluntarily or that there's a little bit extra there. We can identify uh, central nervous system fatigue from that and also then potentiated twitch. So it's another electrical stimulation uh, two or three seconds after the contraction. And from that, then we can see changes in um, contractile function of the muscle. So in other words, we can we can largely identify then is there damage actually in the, the the muscle in the muscle fibers and the ability for the muscle to contract maximally or is it coming more from your your cns your central nervous system and that's quite important because you know just thinking of recovery modalities and, and stuff like that and also the type of training that that we need to 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 put those players through so that's quite novel for us to do and then to be able to do it right across the training week, you know, even on their day off on a Wednesday, we're still getting them in and doing the testing. And then also to do it across the season as well at different time points. So we're, we're, we're quite hopeful that, you know, we're finding some interesting findings. And like one of the, the best thing for us is that we did find significant changes and, and significant um, responses from the questionnaires. So we ran in a number of different questionnaires. So some, some questionnaires, Airs are better than others, what we found. Um, and also, you know, we, we found actually that the contractile function, so you'd call it, you know, peripheral fatigue, if you want to call it that, even though now we are beginning to think of fatigue as a symptom of tiredness and weakness, um, that that's still there 72 hours after the initial strenuous uh, training session. So, for instance, you're doing your conditioning session on a Tuesday morning, like most clubs are we found actually that, that those players were still significantly down on a Friday morning then going into the training session. Unfortunately, we didn't get to test them on a Saturday morning to see how they, you know, uh, uh, come to the, the competitive game, but it still is important. It just shows that the cumulative effect of the whole academy programme is having a major effect on these young players. And you just need to make sure you get them recovery modalities or, you know, pitch your training like, like Ross is saying correct and in preparation for that so there's a bit of an overview statement on that it'll just give a little bit hopefully give a little bit more clarity on when to push and when to pull sort of thing when to give players that little bit extra in terms of recovery and when also that we can we can go a bit more intense with players yeah so i mean i suppose exactly that what what, what we found is that 
um, immediately post and all the way to 72 hours afterwards, we're still, there's still damage there in those muscle fibers. Um, and that's amongst under 18 academy players. Uh, they're not yet recovered back to baselines. The other thing is that perceptually the players feel that they recovered by 48 hours. So they feel by that Thursday morning that they're actually recovered. And what we're identifying is actually that they're not. They're still damaging that muscle. Now, whether it can be down to a host of factors that they, do, they don't feel that they're not still feeling that they're you know, fatigued entirely. It may be that they want to kind of show that they're ready. They don't want to tell the truth. We don't know about that, but, you know, we're, we've done the, the perceptual measures for eight years at this stage. We feel like we've got good questionnaires. We, we you know, they tell the truth. So we, we, we feel that they're quite reliable. Um, so, yeah, it just shows that, you know, you need to be careful with the training load that you're giving these players. The other thing as well is that it does mean that these players need to be highly physically robust and, and resistant to fatigue that, you know, doing a number of uh, conditioning sessions on a Tuesday, match day minus four might be beneficial and might kind of attenuate muscle damage in these players. So it's, yeah, quite interesting. A few other little small things then as well that we also measured um, a doctor squeezed scores. We looked at BROMS, so profile of mood um, questionnaire as well. And actually we found no changes, significant changes whatsoever in either of those tests. So, you know, we carry them out on the exact same days as well after that strenuous session or right throughout the week. And the group mean would say that actually there were no changes in those measures. So a lot of clubs are obviously carrying out adductor squeezes and looking at the scores. And also some are carrying out brums. I'm not sure how many, um, but actually we found no significant effect from those. No, it's interesting. I, I was going to get a bit of a seamless link into you now, Ras, because I want to get into the the sort of changes in your role. But just to sort of piggyback on the back of what Kieran's been talking about there with that research and taking it more into the technical side yeah. and how we yeah. maybe um, influence training and the approach that we take with players. If only we had a technical coach on as well. Like, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. So Brilliant. can you give a little bit of a breakdown on that in terms of, um, obviously there's more stuff to come off the back of what, what Kieran's working on, but at the moment, what that looks like in terms of how that may influence the week for you? Of course. Well, I think I think for me is a couple of things. Like It's all contextual to our club. So the, the way that we train the Tuesday, we have Wednesday off because of education um, and, and we train Thursday again. Now, the additional session on the Thursday, it could be that is having quite a big effect on them not recovering by the Friday. So the Thursday session in our context isn't a, a light session. It's a moderate session. Um, it's definitely lighter than the Tuesday. But my mm -hmm. questions are, are the Thursday session slightly too hard to allow them to recover for the Saturday? Um, and then the other flip side is it's a development process and actually do we want them fully recovered for the game on the weekend so you've got all these contextual things to think about because we're not fussed about the three points at the weekend we're fussed about their long-term plan and ultimately getting them into the first team so all these things are, are to, to throw into the mix and uh, come off, off off the back of it but I think it's really important that this sort of info is fed back to all of the coaches and, and the, you know I, I think it's fair to Kieran to say that the club have been excellent in the support mm -hmm. of the PhD um, our, our technical director Chris 
Chris Ramsey, uh, Alex Carroll, Academy Director, have, have, have backed all the funding for it um, to, to, to half with, with Northumbria Uni, of course. And they're really interested in the results on how it might impact how we train the players. Um, we're very integrative here. So everything's very football-based, but they want a lot of info from sports science to help that, to help the practices. We have stock practices. When's the right time to use certain practices? Uh, if we're looking at certain themes, how's that going to impact the response to players? If we're doing counter-attacking, there's going to be a lot of high-speed running. It's going to be extensive. So how does that impact what each individual response is? Um, and, and we're just looking at each individual, their development over time and their response to each training bout. And, and what's, as you said, what's the best time to push? What's the best time to pull? I think as well, and just say as regards piggybacking on that about, for instance, tests like the adductor squeeze or like the Brums or the counter movement jump, we found some significance. So 24 hour post, we did see a change, but then we didn't see any response after that. But the, the important thing to think about as well is that, you know, every club and certainly here, it's all about the individual development plan or the individual action plan for that or learning plan for that player. And even though it's easy to dismiss tests that don't show a response to training or to high intensity training like the Brums and, and some of those that I mentioned. Um, there, there may be some interesting findings to find on an individual level. So for instance, on a questionnaire, uh, we found some, some interesting findings when you ask a player, are you fatigued? Are your muscles sore? Um, are you ready to train? We found nothing if you asked them, how was your sleep? Uh, how's your motivation? Uh, how are your stress levels? But does that mean that you take out that question about sleep then? Because maybe that might identify one or two players who actually might respond and tell you, you know, that they didn't sleep well. And that's quite important for you to know as a practitioner then that those two individuals. So like in the research, we're always looking at the group mean, but at times you can obviously miss out on individual players and we don't have a sample size large enough to kind of you know absolutely confidently confidently predict that in every club these results will will you know adhere to their setup we're working with a sample size of about 16 players or something like that so i think it's quite important that every club take the test test them themselves and have a look at the reliability the validity and then you're you're seeing that okay it might actually be applicable to my players like a a doctor squeeze i, I could easily think of a couple of players last year who had localized, you know, uh, weaknesses in the adductors. So actually that test was quite good for the, those particular players, even though it may not be applicable then to the, the squad as a whole. Um, so they're the kind of things that, you know, coming into the morning meeting that you, you need to be able to feed back into the, to the coaches. And as Ross says, we, we, we hope that these are the type of findings that maybe you're able to say to coach, okay, on a Thursday morning, I think the players are still fatigued and, and affected from the Tuesday morning, but it might be the case that you're looking at the developmental process and you're saying, well, actually, let's not worry about the game on the weekend and let's keep pushing them and you know, physically developing them and looking at the tactical and the technical, which I think uh, from QPR side, Ross, is, is probably our main focus anyway, like, like lots of clubs. Now, just a very quick shout out to our online community. The three presentations from our past event at Bristol City are now available to watch in full on the community. So Stephen Taylor, a head of Academy Sports Science at Bristol, presented on acute fatigue in youth football. And that was um, presenting some of his research and he discussed whether players are ready to re-perform. 
Del Bonsu, head of strength and conditioning at Bristol, presented work in progress and all around the S&C programme at Bristol City, um, which is some serious impressive stuff going down there as well as the amazing facility. And then also Rich Clark presented on agility training, what it is, what it isn't and how to do it. Brilliant presentation from Rich and anyone that's seen the strength coach curriculum courses will know the incredible work that he puts out. And if you haven't, go and check it out. And another bonus of being a community member is you can actually get discount on that course over on the member benefits tab of the community. But if you want to go and check these presentations out, the good news is if you're not already signed up to a free month on the community, if you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up there, you'll get a one month free access to the community so you can watch presentations like the ones I've just mentioned and loads of others on there as well. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month. And when you become a full member, you go into our WhatsApp group, which has been some incredible discussions on recently. um, And you get full access to the community site as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up to your free month there. Here's part two of the podcast with Ross Bennett and Kieran Dealey. Yeah, sure, Ben. I think uh, you're hitting that on the head. I was going to say, like those with with different injury histories are going to have different profiles and different types of screening. So uh, we spoke to Robin Thorpe, and he came and did some stuff with us, and some of the great work they was doing there. And they set up their monitoring processes. So I think it's really important to to really think about the individual. What screening is going to identify certain weaknesses for them? What are going to be red flags? And, and then you might have your global measures that you know, like can predict fatigue and in inverted commas, um, whatever level, peripheral, central, your objective, subjective measures um, to, to go f- to go from there. No, really interesting, lads. It's really, it'd be great to see how things develop as well. So we'll have to um, get another one in, in, a, in a, uh, maybe a few months' time to see where we're up to with it. Um, but Ross, just as well, on your roles, I'm interested to discuss the, the sort of changes and development that's happened in, in your role at the club. Because um, including more technical work and obviously now leading, or I'm guessing, are you leading the squad now, the 16s, did you say? So I work with a guy called Liban, Liban Mood. I, I give a shout out. We, we, we work quite good close together. So, uh, But he's also the assistant coach for the 18s. So I'm headed up the performance side and working on the sports science side for the 18s and, and other clubs, uh, 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 age groups. But then I coach with him in the evening. So we, we work, I spend more time with him than I do my wife um, all the time. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's very busy, Ben. Um, you know, I've took on more responsibility from a, a managerial perspective as well. As I said, performance analysis now come under my repeat, remit which is brilliant um, I think that understanding of the game helps me link the sports science to the analyst and what they're looking for and how to support the coaches um, but yeah I now so three evenings a week I'm coaching the 16s with with Liban um, and taking them on, on the weekend as well on the Saturday for games uh, we've had the same group now for two years so 15s and 16s and we've got I think we've just signed nine new scholars which was brilliant to, to, to take nine scholars through to next year who we think has got a couple of players in there that could you know ultimately long term get into our first team or, or have a career in the game so yeah I'm, I'm very busy I'm here all the time at the minute um, but I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it I love what I do and I think the, the balance of the two things is is brilliant for me right now and with the understanding of the sort of technical, uh, technical and tactical side like we've talked about this a lot on the podcast where do you sit in terms of sports scientists s coaches like how much understanding do we need of that side of the game do you think 
Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, those that follow me on Twitter will see me tweet stuff and then have little debates back and forth. And I think I've calmed down the last year or so, but I'm still partial to a, to a couple of uh, <laughs> controversial tweets. But I think that for me, I think it's really important that you understand the game. I don't think the sports scientist has to be a coach to a level that can put on a coaching session. But I think if you don't understand the context of the game, I think you're looking at it from a, a completely different lens that might change your perspective on things. So for example, if you want um, an extensive session in a session and you're driving the coaches, we need to hit X amount of numbers. And, and, and we have those here as well. We have targets for days of the week where we try and want to try and hit a certain percentage of match load or, or whatever it is in certain metrics. But the coaches focus on that particular week because the group need it is something like breaking lines in quarter four. So we have, uh, we, we put the pitches into, into four quarters. So instead of thirds, into quarters essentially so say you're working in quarter four about breaking lines and, and combination play to create goal scoring opportunities when they're set up in a good shape like that session isn't going to elicit lots of high speed running or extensive numbers that you want it but actually what's best for the players at that moment in time is that development session like that's what they need for their development session to be a footballer because it's so ingrained in in the skill side of it and the physical so ingrained in in the skill of the sport so in that situation i think there's no other option if you want the extensive then you just do some isolated extensive running or maybe at the end of training or you do your max speed stuff at the start so that's where i think that you have to have the context so that you you then you everything can't be football based because if you just put football practices on to get the physical numbers you're missing out on the learning and the flow of the session um you might just do a, a 1v1 drill from the halfway line just for the sake of doing a 1v1 drill so that you can call it football but actually it's not football because you're doing it for a physical perspective what's the flow of the session how have you scaffolded the session um what's the coach thinking in terms of the outcomes then you you can work your physical stuff around that um, to, to supplement it. Hopefully the themes fit. Like I said, the counter-attacking theme is perfect for high-speed running. But then how do you manage that on a, on a Thursday or Friday when, when the coaches want to still revisit some transitional stuff and counter-attacking over larger areas, but you don't necessarily want those high-speed running. So I think if you don't know these contexts and these understanding of the game, I just don't see how you could do your job to the best level. Um, uh, yeah, and things like that. I think as well, you need to understand the, the, the job roles of each player. So what is the movements that each player is going to have to go through? What are the technical technical requirements when you're looking at individual work, you're looking at rehab? Like I see rehab sessions like across the country, which are very generic. And, and you see a lot of, you know, I call them obstacle course type stuff where you've got different physical movements, which is fine in the early stages. But how are you going to prep them then to go back into the session where they're going to have to receive the ball in the half turn, um, play a various amount of passes, is um, get to a player and, and, and press and stop the turn, things like that. I think you should be drip feeding this information in during the rehab process so that when they go back into the session, it's not complete overload or they haven't gone backwards from a learning perspective. So I think them sort of things are really important to make sure that the language, the philosophy, um, how you interact with the coaches, you understand the context of what they're trying to achieve. I think you get a little bit more buy-in. Um, but, but by all means, I don't think you need to be a coach. I just think you need to understand the sport and the philosophy that you're driving it at the club. Have you got anything on that, Kieran? What's your views on that? Yeah, I mean, Ross covered it really, really well there. I mean, it's interesting. We've kind of both, done, in the last 10 years, we've both been sports scientists, we've both been coaches, and we both kind of manage different departments or teams. And, you know, the same skills are kind of required uh, that come up all the time. I think just to put it simply and then to add to what Ross said is, is, just the terminology, the language, the interactions with the coaches 
is so so much easier when you when you can speak their language when you can talk the language of football or any other sport you know that you you have experience of a coach and I think as well you you can give better advice in terms of how to set up practices or how to do you know late stage rehab and stuff like that but also I think your greater understanding of the sport you give greater advice as well in terms of the loading to the coaches um, and I think they can, you know, respect your opinion and everything like that. It's, it's, you're, you're a long, long way away from the kind of sports scientist, you know, just with the iPad and, and shouting out numbers and timings and stuff like that, that you can actually be beside the coach and chatting and devising sessions together. It's quite interesting, actually, because Ross is the under 16s coach, as he says, um, and I've been in sessions then where I've been the sports scientist for that group. And, and, um, you know, all Ross's best practice sports science concepts now will go out the window then when he takes over the sessions. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Ross, you, you mentioned before about um, some, you call, I think you call them controversial. I don't think they're controversial tweets. I think it's good to have some discussions. And I'm going to bring one up um, and we'll get, we'll expand on it a little bit. So this was, when was this from? This was from Feb. Uh, February 23rd of Feb. The more I discuss and think about absolute uh, high-speed running zones, the more I think it's wrong. The only arguments are it assesses performance and we can compare to everyone else. Um, the set speed, 5.5 for most players, is too low to assess true high-speed running and, it, and it's biased to their speed slash aer- um, aerobic profile. With a lot of people getting into some good discussions and a lot of people yeah. agreeing as well. So do you want to expand on that? Yeah, of course. I mean, the reason why I say controversial is a tweet like that, for example, that's because the majority of people are actually doing that. So the majority of people are setting their threshold as absolute HSR. I think like a couple of points on that, as I said there, for me, you've got to come back to the question, what do you want from your high speed running numbers? Um, We internally will talk about what we use in terms of relative zones, but, you know, it's got to be a threshold set that identifies some sort of harder running. If you want to put it in simple terms, if you want to try to look towards more anaerobic running, then you can try to decipher a a set speed and a zone, which is, which is very hard. and, And we'll come on to that. But I just think that 5.5 5.5a is too low you know if you look at most professional players up and around 9 to 10 it's going to be looking at like 55 60 62 percent top whack of, of of your max speed and i think you've got to look at the question of what is it you want to measure um and i think also the bias is is that if you've got a player who can run uh, 10.6 meters per second then they've only got to go what 50 percent or just over 50 percent to get that high speed running number so if you're telling a coach from a performance perspective oh well this player is hitting high speed running all the time look he's got 1200 meters of high speed running but the player whose max speed is 8.5 meters per second only got 200 meters well for me that's a no brain of course he he has to run at the person at eight point something meets per second has to run at such a higher percentage of his max speed to get it that i think you're unfairly biased in putting unfair bias towards the quicker player like we can tell the coach that that player is the quickest player in the group so there's the performance thing checked off for us you know we want to try and develop other players and 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 his speed even more um yeah so i just think we have to be careful about what we're trying to measure and also then from a a monitoring perspective if we want to look at it's all about leveling the playing field for us so we want to look at at what point are our players going through stress and how much accumulation of that stress have they been going through so 
if we're not levering, leveling the playing field with just an absolute number, then for me, the, the numbers are irrelevant. You, you can't really tell how hard a player's working, especially when you're looking at development blocks. You're going from 16 to 18 to 23 to the first team. Of course, there's going to be a linear increase in HSR because they get more mature, they get more powerful, they get quicker. So it's easier to hit that number. So these are all the things that I think, why are we still using absolute yet? Some for some reason we like to compare across club to club and we like to compare across lots of historical data that we've got 10 years of. But for me, it's wrong, it's not correct data. So, you know, that's why we, we, we've been using relative zones for well, ever since I've been at the club and, and come into the department. And you know, it's where I utilize Kieran for his expertise and his sports science expertise. And I think we've come up with some really strong, you know, relative zones that are different to everybody else, but probably the most accurate, I would say. Kevin, can you expand on that in terms of those zones? Yeah, so 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 just briefly first about the absolute. I mean, there is a problem there because an awful lot of of the research will work off the five point five and the, the the seven meters per second, and and it's just it's an arbitrary number that or a percentage or sorry number that somebody has come up with at some stage. And I mean the five point five was originally when we started this, you know, nearly 10 years ago, Ross, that was what Stat Sports had their high-speed running and their zone six or speed, you know, sprint distance set at. Now, I don't know who advised them to do that or, you know, we, we get on well with boys in Stat Sports, I'm not going to give out too much about them, but, um, you know, who knows where that came up with. Originally, so it was, yeah, as Ross said, about probably eight years ago or so, we started working off um, high speed running was set at 67% of maximum speed. And that was actually taken from Martin Boucher and, and Ross, you spoke to Martin, you know, uh, less than a year ago, just his kind of rationale about that. And, and he had done some laboratory testing and found that, you know, 67% was kind of as close as possible to a kind of a, a, a threshold from his laboratory tests. Um, we've kind of taken it on then in the last less than a year i suppose where we're taking our mass test and we're we're looking at our maximum sprint speed as well we're working out our anaerobic speed reserve from that um garth stanford and some of the lads have done a lot of work in that and, and also martin boucher and then what we've done then is we've taken percentages of that um aerobic speed reserve so we're looking at 30 percent of anaerobic anaerobic speed reserve added on to their mass score um, uh, for high-speed running, and then 60% of anaerobic speed reserve added to their mass score for uh, very high-speed running. Ross, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if uh, you're working in the day-to-day -day dealings across the squad with that. Yeah, no, that's correct. Um, I mean, we worked at percentages of max speed for a long time. I was very fortunate enough to work with Martin Boucher in, in Qatar um, when I was at Aspire, and, and he's someone that me and Kieran religiously look at his work. I think I think he's excellent the stuff that they're doing, and, and he's done over the years. But essentially, the max speed we found a bit of a problem with it because if your max speed is fairly low and your aerobic capacity is quite high, you can hit the high percentages of max speed quite quite easily. Whereas if your max speed is really high and your aerobic capacity is lower, like some of our pro filing of, of centre forwards or maybe some explosive wingers, then again, they, they might be under-reporting their HSR. So we've now we've now gone into the into the point where we're looking at aerobic profiling, you know, from the mass score and also the, 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 the anaerobic speed reserve, which hopefully takes that bias away and gives levels of playing field for, for all players, really. Um, so it, we're not saying it's perfect and we've kind of come up with these numbers based on what we think is appropriate. Um, it would be good, I think, if people start 
you know, trying to experiment a bit more and trying to level the playing field across the board. Hopefully we get to a point where it's it's the same for everybody. Um, and, and I know Kieran says they use it a lot in the research, but we could use those numbers in the research for 5.5 and, and we still collect that data for that purpose. But I think in the clubs, we have to give a bit more insightful data and be a bit fairer to our athletes and our players that, that we're working with day to day. It, it does make logical sense that we now are using, you know, we're working out our, our zones and our thresholds based off two physiological markers. So their maximum aerobic speed and also their maximum sprint speed. So you, you would expect that that's going to be a more valid measure than just working off one where, as Ross is saying, you know, your, your HSR can be either under or over reported. So, yeah, we're... we're we're finding some good results. We, we've we've implemented also in the last year, we've been quite busy in the last year. We've implemented a new kind of dashboard right across the, the, the academy as well, where we've we've moved from, you know, using our Excel and everything like that on to using um, our Power BI as well. So, you know, we're getting some really nice insights across each squad and all the different variables as well. We're, we're gathering, you know, a lot of variables, but then focusing on just the kind of, six or so main variables like the usual ones of distance and very high speed running high speed axle diesel sprint distance um percentage uh, max speed but we just have a way of you know implementing our targets on that the visualizations are nice and I, I i do see a lot of people at different times on social media give out about visualizations but you know i think you need to look beyond that and just see that it's a it's a tool it's an aid to kind of educate the coaches and present data in a nice kind of seamless manner that they can understand and you know using your traffic light data of of the the green amber reds and everything like that on those visualizations on your tables and charts and stuff can can kind of aid understanding then again trying to affect training as much as much as possible and and the overall the whole program I feel like this podcast come at a really nice time because actually the previous episode was with Gareth Sanford and Damon Harper. Um, <laughs> and they spoke about a lot of stuff that sort of crosses over what you guys have spoken about. So I think it's been really nice. Anyone that's not listened to that episode, go back and listen to that one as well because, um, yeah, there's some really good stuff that they talked about that, that links in really nicely with some of the topics we've covered in this one. Lads, I'm just going to move us on, if you don't mind, to some of the um, quick-fire questions we finish each each podcast with and obviously I'll ask you both each question Um, I always like asking these just to get a little bit more of an insight into you as individuals as well but to start with um, what who were some of the biggest influences on your career so far Ross I'll put it to you first Thanks, Ben. Yeah, I've got a few in mind, if you don't mind, uh, just at different stages of the career. I think the first one that really resonates with me is John Goodwin at St. Mary's. Um, I was fortunate enough to do a couple of research projects for him, my undergrad and even my postgrad, where I wasn't at uh, St. Mary's. I managed to collab with him as well, and, and we continued some research in there. I just thought the way that he uh, looked at stuff, uh, the, how analytical he is, um, and the way that he just took science to a new level um, was just very thorough, very theoretical um but made sense at the same time he was an athlete himself and I, i've heard him on various podcasts i know him relatively well i just think he's top level um so he was one of the biggest ones from an academic perspective um i mentioned michael bill at chelsea um who just taught me a 
the world of what I thought was just top class coaching, um, who's now Aston Villa second at Aston Villa with, with Stevie G. And no surprise that the teams he's gone to have, have excelled. I think his understanding, his rapport with players, his individualization, uh, his standards that he set, and how he got that across to young kids without being too harsh and 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 making sure that you know the welfare check and stuff like that was done. I just thought he was top class, and he really set the the, the bar for me in terms of working in football. I always relate things back to him. Um, um, I spoke a bit about Martin Boucher, who, who I met very briefly. He was like a hero of mine already. So when I sat next to him in the office, it was just like, oh, my God, what's going on here? Um, but I just think he, as a, as a practitioner, as a researcher, understands sport. And again, is just is leading, leading the field. And then the last one for me is Chris Ramsey here at QPR, who's instilled a lot of trust in me. Um, I wouldn't be in the positions, both positions that I'm in now without him personally. Um, and from a coaching perspective, like Michael Bill, I haven't met too many that I'm, I'm, I'm as impressed with when I see him work on, on the football pitch, the way he designs practices off the fly now, because he's just so experienced, the way that he can adapt things, the processes that he makes you think about, how adaptable he is, um, uh, they're, they're, they're second to none. So there's just a few of the people that really stick in my head to, to get me to where I am right now, I think. Kieran, what about yourself? Yeah, actually, I started with a coach as well. So he was my secondary school teacher, um, but was my my college as, you know, I came from a, a really kind of top GA school back in Ireland and, and we were, you know, winning provincials and all Ireland's and stuff like that. So Aidan O'Brien was his name and he luckily he became my manager and coach in my club as well. Um, and when I became manager of London GA, uh, we, I used to speak to him an awful lot and he's a, he's a close friend. So more from a coaching aspect and kind of overall sporting mentor, um, he has certainly been, been a huge influence on me. Um, I think more from, I'll have to give him a shout out of Shane Malone <laughs> in Dublin. So I don't know, do you know Shane? In the, um, he's a lecturer in um, Tal IT in Dublin and he's the guy who comes up with all the Power BI and the, the you know, the visualizations and everything like that that I speak of. And also it's just a really, really knowledgeable technical sports scientist, I think, and manages to kind of mix that academic side or, or, or uh, of stuff with the kind of practical aspect as well. He's been working with um, uh, Irish rugby sevens in the past and stuff like that as well. And, the last one, then, I think even just recently, in terms of my PhD, I've, I've had, obviously, Professor Glenn Howitson, who's a, let's call him a big dog in the academic world. Um, but I've, I've, got, I've come very, very close to Dr. Uh, Jamie Talent, who's now at University of Essex. And Jay, the thing I like about Jamie is he's worked in, in cricket. He's, you know, consulted with England rugby, with football clubs. Um, he never stops banging on about the Royal uh, Ballet as well. He does some work with them. And he just gives me that kind of grounding in, you know, new areas for me about statistics and, and how to, you know, structure academic studies and write up papers and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so they, they, would, they would certainly be with mine, other, other than my, obviously, my, my family and wife and everything. Brilliant. <laughs> and then, Ross... What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? My biggest strength? Um, good job you, you, you told me this before because I think I would have been caught on the hop if, if, <laughs> if you told me off the back. I've got a couple. I've got one, I think, as a coach. I mean, it's handy because I've gone into the coaching side, but I think as a coach, I bring a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. I think I can relate to 
the either kids or adult, you know, senior players, adult players, first team players, whoever you're working with to be able to drive that session in, in whatever capacity it is. And I think number two, I have a real critical eye for detail. So the guys will tell you that those in the department, I'm constantly replying to certain reports they're sending out and saying, are you sure this is correct? Or, or what about this? Has that been influenced by this? Because I'm just constantly looking for perfection and making sure that everything we send out is just correct. And because and the last thing is that you want a coach making the decision of something that either as, as is correct in number, but maybe the way that it's been perceived as has been slightly different or you haven't considered another certain factor. So I drive them nuts. I'm sure I do drive them <laughs> crazy with messages and emails. But yeah, I think that the, the level of detail I try to go into is, is one of my strengths. Kieran? Um, I suppose the, the diligence when it comes to like data and, and, and you know, the, the just the, the bread and butter of the sports scientists that you can have all these really interesting stuff to do and, and out on the pitch and everything like that. But, but just getting that kind of reliable data and, and you know, poor, poor data are, is poor insight. So you have to make sure everything is, is correct and everything is right. And then you can give good advice and, and gain good insights from that data. So I think that's, you know, quite an important thing for a sports scientist. And then I suppose in some ways like Ross about the coaching that I have a background in coaching and, and just those kind of inter interpersonal skills and being able to chat to the coaches, I think helps a lot. Bro. And then final one, lads, what would you say your approach is to like CPD? Obviously running the podcast and getting to speak to people. I always say that's one of mine. So I'm guessing that's part of it. But in terms of you being busy, especially everything that you got going on, both of you um, day to day, like what's your approach to CPD? Yeah, I, th I think it's a really important one. And I think the first thing is to make sure that you're always open. You have an open mindset. So no matter what level you get to, whether you're the top manager in the world, like you should always be open to learning from, from different people, from different backgrounds, expertise, and coming at stuff from different lenses. So I think that's really important that I try to drum into to everyone in our department anyway. But myself, I try and keep myself humble and, and making sure I'm always looking to, to, to learn. I think now there's no better time to be able to learn every day online. You put a podcast on in the car you make sure that you constantly ticking over you don't have to go to conferences anymore to take loads of good info away which is brilliant because like you say people are busy and, and stuff like that you might have one or two conferences you target a year for networking um, and the big ones like, like they say some of the big conferences but I think you can constantly I listen to your show you know basic performance we've got our stuff that we learn loads off from guests loads of different podcasts that you can listen to but I think the future of CPD Ben is actually having I, I do a lot of stuff for basis so I'm a supervisor for basis and I've got five supervisees that I'm looking after at the minute and I always say to them where do you really want to improve like what's your is it a skill set is it a knowledge gap okay so if you have those things then you have to target the CPDs that's really going to develop that you can't just put something on in the car because it's the last one that came on in in, in the episode and and you know that's fine for for general listening and you'll learn some stuff but I think the future is stuff that we go a little bit left field and a bit lateral with so ideas I've had in my head, if you need to develop a practitioner's or even a player's communication skills, then why not put them on the chef pass down at the local restaurant where they're going to have to communicate to a team and communicate to wait waiters and waitresses? Or why not put them in, a, in an air control tower where they're seeing people bring flights in every 30 seconds and it's essential, it's life or death. So I think we've really got to think about, yes, we have our knowledge and our sports science and our football and our coaching, all of those understanding, but how do we develop as people and where are the gaps? Um, and that's something I would love to bring into our department over, over time and really formulate a proper plan um, to, to develop them and, and get them to where they need to be.
Like it. Kieran, what about you? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, mine are quite similar to Ross and we didn't speak beforehand at all. But in a slightly different manner, I think be very, very targeted in your approach in terms of uh, and not to go into as much depth as Ross did there. But like, don't just sign up to every single conference and CPD event because you'll get bored of them and you'll kind of get sick of listening to some of the similar stuff the content and maybe even some of the similar speakers so you know identify a number of ones that you really want to go and and attend um i think attending a, a cpd event abroad is a fantastic idea because it just means that you get that kind of overall experience of being there and networking with people and everything like that and the other point that i'd make and it in some ways links in with ross's as well is that to think you know outside the box and a bit differently I, I did a, a leadership course back in Ireland over a year, um, a couple of years ago at this stage now as part of kind of former player association in the GA. And it was by far the best CPD I've ever done. And it was just all about the attributes of leadership and, and how to be a good leader and examples of it. And it meant that I was looking at, you know, we were given content, YouTube content and articles to read that had absolutely nothing to do with sport at all. And, and you know, where from the military, from business, from, you know, you, you can learn an awful lot from high performance, uh, these businesses, large corporations. So I think if you can think outside the box a little bit, last little one I'd mention actually as well is use of the outdoors. And, you know, I love my hiking and cycling and stuff like that. And you can learn so much like about yourself and about others, but also about leadership and teamwork and, and problem solving and troubleshooting from like, you know, going hiking, going camping and, and stuff like that. I think it's certainly worthwhile. Ross, there's one, that, what's the one that um, a few of the people in the club have done, you know, the, the really intense one where they're, they're sent then dropped in onto the Brecon Beacons in Wales. Yeah. And is it at ECAS? Course, yeah, I think it was. It? I think it was the ECAST course, and now they're yeah. doing it on the the, the EHOC, the academy head of coaching, or or something like that. So, yeah, they're they're brilliant stuff. One thing to mention as well, Ben, is to surround yourself with with world class people. So, like the, the the thing that I always and I'm very proud of the department we've got here now. Obviously, Kieran's in in his capacity. We've got Andrew Wiseman, who we've recently um, employed. Matt Horton, a guy that's been here works of our B team, who we got from Palace. These sort of people constantly. We have Ben Smalley before. These sort of people constantly challenge you. Um, bring up good discussions and I think if you're around like-minded people you will grow together and and the only people going to benefit are the players so yeah. use your network inside the club as, as much as you can yeah I love it I really like the the innovative um sort of approach and anyone that was at our Oxford event it was a task that we ran we put up um, different companies um all sorts of different high performing teams from Sainsbury's to uh, Apple to we had all different ones up there and basically got discussions about what can we learn from them and how does it relate to our practice and then we're talking to sports scientists and SNC coaches and we were, we were discussing like I say Apple and Joe Rogan's podcast and all this all this crazy stuff but there's loads of lessons in there isn't there yeah. so I, yeah. I love that I think it's um, really important really important to sort of open your mind to those things and learn from different places so I've really enjoyed this, lads. It's been quality, really, really cool. good. Um, some great content in there. There's obviously some really exciting stuff going on at the club. We mentioned before we started recording, Ross, there's a new yeah. training ground on its way as well. We've not even touched on that. So <laughs> let's catch up about um, some updates on the research, on what's happening at the club, and, and get another one in the books for um, a few months' time. 
Yeah, definitely. If you saw the, the way we're working at the minute, is to say it's a construction site is is an understatement. So we're <laughs> we're working on a couple of pitches that are getting worn and torn, and our gym's now in it in a room that's the size of a classroom. So we're we're, we're doing our best for the for the greater good. That's what we say. Brilliant. <laughs> we really appreciate it, and uh, keep up the good work. Cheers, lads. Great. Thanks, Thanks, Ben, and you, mate. Thank you. Cheers, Ben. Thanks. Thank you to Ross and Kieran for coming on the podcast. I appreciate them giving up their time and coming on to discuss everything they did. I hope you found it beneficial because I think there was loads to take away in this episode. Loads of great discussions and obviously some brilliant work being done down at the club as well. Go and give the lads a follow. Ross is over on Twitter at Ross201189. And you can go and give Kieran a follow at C-I-D-E-E-L-Y. And then takeaways, one of the first things that jumped out for me was they were talking about the benefits of coaching kids. And we've we've spoke about this before on a few episodes recently. The ones that jump out to me, I spoke to it to Mark Reed about it, about the different skills practitioners have working with um, different ages of, of players. And I think it's a great point. Whether you do go on to coach kids in the long run or not, I think you develop a lot of skills working with the younger ages. So it's definitely something to encourage younger practitioners to do, even if it's not where you're going to end up in your career. Um, everything they're doing around monitoring fatigue is really interesting. The, the One of the things they spoke about was monitoring the response, more importantly than the training load, which I think can get people thinking about how they um, put that into practice. The lack of research on academy players, so the more research that can be done on, on the academy players, the better. And we'll start to find out over the next few years more and more ways of informing our practice and making that process as, as effective as possible. And then also something that, again, we spoke about a lot, individuals react differently to different language. So something to take away from that is that bear in mind that if you've got 20 players in a squad, you've got 20 individuals all react a little bit different. So it's just bearing that in mind when we are working with a group that is made up of individuals like what we're working with day in, day out. So like I always say, please let me know what your takeaways were from the podcast because it's always great to hear what you took away from it. Um, And we have got some really exciting guests as well coming up over the next few weeks. But as always, if there's anyone that you see that you think of... it would be great to get on the podcast. Please reach out and let me know. You can drop us a message on Instagram or Twitter at footballfitfed or an email, mail at footballfitfed.com. Um, whether it's recommendations of guests or topics as well. Um, but yeah, there's some really exciting guests coming up. I'm not going to give away any names. I'm going to keep you hanging a little bit. But yeah, uh, really excited to get those recorded and get those out to you. But as always, I really appreciate everyone listening and sharing the podcast and supporting it. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 182.